Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Stories. Um, Jacob is in his truck studio right now, which is why I'm doing the intro when he usually does it. But today, we, we've made history. 
with the first ever fella to be a, on a listener success story twice in one season, Mr. Brett Mashburn. Brett, congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, knock yourself down another dandy buck. Um, Jacob, how are you doing? Doing well, but not as well as Brett, man. Brett, you got to teach us the ways of killing these big deer, man. <laughs> Persistent. I heard oh, awesome. that. Well, well, let's kind of dive right into this. Uh, Brett, we had you on, dude, not not terribly long ago uh, as a listener success story from two different bucks that you had killed uh, earlier this season, uh, one in Missouri, one in Alabama. You just killed a, your second Alabama buck, uh, and it is a freaking it, – it's a it's a slammer. Um, but – you, you you messaged me the day I guess you killed it, uh, ex- saying that hey that you know killing wind was what had caused you know or what had helped you kind of you know put the pieces together to kill that buck, which that actually came from I guess it was episode two thirteen with uh, Travis Murray. Um, I'll just want to dive right into that. What about that episode, which is episode two thirteen with Travis Murray? What about that episode really clicked for you? And, and how did you figure out how you could apply that tactic of the killing wind uh, to this area where this buck was kind of roaming? It was actually, I had a wind that I was, I didn't really know where I wanted to sit. I looked and I looked because I always check the wind before I go hunting or what it's supposed to be anyway. So I, mean, I check it kind of when I get killed. And I could not figure out where I was going to go. I thought I might go to a little... 80-acre lease I had, and I was like, no, I'm going to go over here. I got looking, and I've been listening to uh, episode 213, um, driving back and forth hunting, and uh, listening to Travis talk about the killing wind and basically how he wouldn't hunt without a killing wind, especially with a rifle. And just thinking, being the rut, mature buck, just the area I was in, and looking at the map, it kind of worked out, actually. I mean, perfect for where I thought the deer were going to come out at in the, the wind direction. And it happened to be a day the wind was was around seven miles per hour, and it was heavy. Like, it wasn't a shifty wind, which made me feel way better about trying this. Because before, I would have never went in there with my wind blowing into kind of part of the bedding area. I think uh, I think Andrew even asked in that episode about, you know, what if your wind is blowing in like part of the bedding area and blowing out that part? And just thinking about that and where the deer were, I went in there and, you know, I went in there and I just eased my way in there, being as quiet as possible, getting the tree. And I mean, it, it worked out perfect. <laughs> you know, well, he look- come he come out of the bedding area just. Just like you would expect with the wind to his face. I want to get into uh, like a little bit more of how this unfolded before you actually killed him, especially. Uh, yeah. I mean, so when did this buck show up? Like, how long had you been hunting him? Well, I hadn't seen the buck any before season, and it was around basically the first of November. He showed up, and one of my cameras, and I've had several different pictures of him, and. You know, I just, I might miss him by a day or two. Uh, and just him, there was actually him and another book I was after, and they kind of run the same area. So I was really in there after either one of them. So uh, on that, I mean, in the process of you hunting him, I mean, were you just like going out and getting skunked? Like, do you think that he was busting you? I mean, uh, 
Why Why do you think that uh, you kind of struggled getting on that deer before you killed him? I think he was, I think these deer were making like loops, like big loops through either the core area or home range or however you want to look at it. And I just feel like I was missing the window they were in certain areas by maybe even sometimes within within a day. And um, I actually did see a few bucks, and I'm not sure which ones they were or if even I had on the camera. I couldn't ever get a shot on that were that were really nice bucks that I would have shot if I could have. So I didn't necessarily get skunk, and I never going into these areas. I believe my access was good. I went in these areas with a the wind in my favor. You know, I wasn't thinking about you know possibly killing them. And I was seeing deer, but I wasn't seeing the right deer. Now, I want to dive a little bit more into this. Um, I want to dive a little bit into the episode as well, uh, that uh, 213 with Travis uh, Murray, which is the second time we had Travis on, and just that topic of the killing wind. You know, what was impactful about that episode that really kind of clicked for you? Like, hey, maybe I need to try a different approach to an area that you have, you know, a lot of experience with because you've been hunting this area of public uh, for quite a few years, it seems like. But what kind of really clicked for you with that episode that was really like, hey, I, I probably ought to go try this, and it's you know maybe it'll work for me uh, and have that big buck or have one of the mature bucks come out in front of me for a shot opportunity. I think one of the things is he was talking about, you know, a deer's nose is it's kind of like their radar, and a mature buck don't get mature by being stupid. He's definitely using his nose. And between that and, it, you know, he was talking about, you know, during the rut or really any time, deer's going to be using his nose. And so just with that in mind, I was like, I definitely need to try this. And I didn't think it could hurt. And with that wind, I knew it was going to be a steady wind, so I felt confident going in there. And I'm very particular about my scent control. I mean, I go to the extreme that whenever I put it in scent, in a basically scent lock coat, it's not scent lock coats, but they're airtight. And I don't put on my hunting clothes until I get where I'm hunting. I change outside the truck. I don't care if it's in the green outside. And as soon as I get done hunting, I'll take them off, put them back up, and, and, uh, and store them. But anyway, so I felt confident with my scent control. With the wind and just, you know, thinking about the things that he talked about, like a deer using their nose as a radar and just about using their nose during during the rut. Now, Brett, you had mentioned that you had, you know, two different bucks on camera in this area. One of the ones, one of them was the one that you actually shot. Um, did you, let me ask, from all the photos that you got, especially the buck that you killed, did you ever get any correlation? Did you ever look at the weather fronts or anything and see if there was a certain wind direction or or front or pressure or anything like that that you could tell that he was coming through with some kind of you know wind advantage or anything like that? Did you ever look at that previously? And did that was that something that kind of affected your decision to hunt there? Um, I do look at that and try to pay attention to it as much as possible. I didn't really see a pattern. I mean, most of the time when I, when I was seeing these deer, I mean, 
I would say 75% of the time, you know, they pretty much had the win advantage. They wasn't necessarily walking straight into the win, but they had some type of win advantage. But there was also times that they were walking with the wind, whether or not they were just on a different trail previous and they happened to turn down the trail. You know, I'm not sure, but I never had a pattern of pressure front. I have noticed that it was like three days before and three days after I seen a lot of good movement. And the other thing that I have noticed with trail cameras is Wednesday seems to be the best day for a mature buck to be on the foot in the daylight. I believe almost every Wednesday of this season, other than two, I had a four and a half or older age class buck on my camera in daylight. Okay, well, I want to I want to ask about this, and I'm sure Andrew's probably thinking too. Do you have any theory or reasoning for that? Is that because it's kind of middle of the week? You know, it's it's the you know the I guess the one of the furthest periods of the week away from the weekend um, from the hunting pressure. I mean, what what do you think that possibly could cause? You know, that I think, that's, I think that's exactly it. I feel like they don't hear people tearing up and down the roads. They just get more comfortable, and it's it's almost like they know, hey, the hunters are are gone for a few days, and safe to get out and move around a little bit. Now. That, uh, that brings up the question. Now, what day did you kill that buck on? I killed him on a Saturday. Okay. Which is yeah. actually probably, well, I'm sure he moves. Uh, I know he moves around on probably any day during the daylight, but I previously I hadn't had a picture of him as far as I'm, a, as far as I'm aware of. I hadn't had a picture of him on the Saturday during daylight. It's mainly been like a weekday, like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Interesting, <clears throat> but I could totally see how that, I mean, that makes perfect sense, really. Um, and, I mean, you're definitely not the first one I've heard that from. I've heard a lot of guys who have talked about that that kind of midweek time frame just really does seem to be better because everything kind of settles back down. Um, so right. that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That's um, what I believe. Kind of, This might be kind of going back a little bit, but I have to ask. So you were talking about, uh, you know, your scent control and everything going in the day that you killed that buck, um, being that you were going in with a killing wind and everything, meaning that the wind is blowing kind of towards where the deer is, do you feel like you kind of blew out some of that bedding area? Um, or do you feel like you bumped deer on the way in? Well, I don't believe I did. Um, I try to be as creative as I can and get into my stand and, uh, I, I kind of, I basically stayed as far away from the bedding area as I could. But also, when I got close to my tree, it, it was just really thick and nasty and briars. And I actually used a deer trail just because I wouldn't be rubbing up on stuff. And it went down a little closer to the bedding area. And I followed it. It was more open and then took a straight line to my tree just to be quiet and and all that, but it just so happened when I was walking in, the wind, you know, was more, it seemed to just be died out to like maybe like a two or three mile per hour wind. So I felt, I felt good about going in. I didn't feel like I jumped anything, didn't hear anything. And that deer actually, he walked out on my trail and walked my trail towards me. 
before I killed him. Nice. Did uh, do you feel like that? I mean, when did that deer get up and come to you? Like, what time of day did you kill him? Um, so I would say I seen him around six fifty-five, and I think I shot him at uh, I say sometime between seven ten and seven twelve. Nice. Okay. Um, when he was coming out of there, what was he doing? I mean, leaving a bedding area kind of early in the morning, do you think that he was going out to look for does, to get a bite to eat, maybe switching bedding areas? So this deer, I mean, he come out and he was just browsing. And I felt like the deer would be in this bedding area as well because it was a high stem count. It's basically a pine thicket. And it's big enough that you can, like, walk through it, but there's a lot of just clusters of pines in it, like, really thick. And so I was hoping, you know, he was bedded in there from the high winds and stuff. And the moon, the moon phase is supposed to be overhead, I want to say, around 8 o'clock, like, straight overhead. And the major feeding time was, like, 7.30 to 10.30. I felt like they would be in the bedding area when I entered. I got, I, I get to where I'm going early. I like to get in all the way up my tree well before daylight. So I get in there early, knowing or hoping I'm going to beat the deer out of the bedding area and catch them coming out to, to eat or browse or go wherever they're going. Now, with this area, um, you know, let me ask you, you know, it seems like you have some history here. You've been running trail cameras here. You've been hunting it again. What was different that day in your approach that day that you killed them compared to what you've done in the past in that spot? I feel a few things for one, he had the wind advantage. And the second thing would be, I feel like the weather that comes through kind of held them in the bed. There was no moonlight. And it was real cloudy. The moon was going to be straight overhead soon after daylight, major, major feeding time. And between those two, two things, I think it was, you know, it just lined up perfect. I happened to be able to hunt when the moon was straight ahead within a coinciding, I would say within an hour, an hour and a half of daylight, which in my book is a phenomenal time to be in the woods catch a mature deer and then him having the wind advantage and picking the right bed so I, w- I want to ask a little bit more you know you've it seems like you've hunted that area a, a little bit especially this season and probably years past as well now the day that you killed him you know the conditions were right everything for what you were trying to do but did you have a different approach of kind of what you were trying to focus on for that hunt compared to what you've done in the past in that area. Um, you know, again, thinking a little bit more of that killing wind, you were talking about how you hunted that area before, you know, of course with the wind in your face, you know, what was the new approach like when you were going in kind of focused on that killing wind and, and what else was kind of running through your mind that was different this time compared to the last few times you've hunted that area? My approach mainly was just going in with the killing wind, um, which really I would have never went in, you know, before that episode, I never would have went in there and hunted that area on that wind. 
and so I definitely would have never killed that deer. I mean, like, as far as approach-wise to my hunting setup, really wasn't much different at all. Um, it was actually only the third time I ever, I've actually been in this area all season to hunt it. Um, the first time I hunted it, I had a totally different wind. And, or actually, the first two times I had a totally opposite wind. And then this time I went in just hunting with a killing wind. And that was now, the only one I can think of. Yeah, and I, I know we've been talking a lot about killing wind. And Andrew, uh, I want to put you on the spot for a hot second. Uh, for listeners that maybe haven't listened to Travis's episode, um, you know, which is titled "Killing a Killing Wind," um, can you give your, uh, I guess, description or an example of what a killing wind is for maybe someone that's listening right now that maybe has not heard that episode? And of course, we recommend if you are listening to this episode and you haven't heard episode one uh, thirteen, or I'm sorry, two thirteen, make sure you go back and check that out. But Andrew, I mean, how would you describe what a killing wind is? Uh, basically the principle is that a deer, especially a buck, uh, lives and dies by its nose. And so therefore it's going to want to be able to smell wherever it's going. So the idea that if you have this bedding area and you sit downwind of it with the wind directly in your face, you know, if the buck comes out of there, that means the wind is going to be directly at his back. Um, which really, um, if if he is going completely off his nose from where he travels, that doesn't make any sense for him to do because all he's doing is smelling the bedding area where he had just been laying for a couple hours and he can't smell anything out in front of him where he's headed to. So the idea of the killing wind is that he would go out the other side of the bedding area where he can get the wind in his face and he can basically scent check wherever he is walking to um, in order to you know know what's there before he pops out where he's vulnerable. Um, now, Brett, I want to ask when the with the wind how it was i mean how exactly how close were you cutting it with this buck i mean were you like feet from getting busted uh because travis did say that that with when it comes to bow hunting um it's a lot harder to do a killing wind because your margin of error is like just so so small when they're getting that close you know with that uh risky of a wind so i mean how how close were you cutting it exactly so the best way that i can describe it if you can picture a flock, and um, so the deer, when I ended up shooting them, was directly, if I'm in the center of the clock, the deer was directly at 6 o'clock. It was straight south of me. When my wind was blowing in basically uh, uh, four, like at 4.30 position. And when the deer come out of the bed there, he was actually 20 yards west of me. But when I shot him, he ended up being directly um, south of me at six o'clock. So I would say he was probably just, I mean, 15 yards for making it to my wind before I shot him, 15, 20 yards or so. So he was kind of quartering. Towards my wind. He, so he was kind of quartering into the wind then, wasn't he? That's right. Actually, multiple guys say that, um, especially some guys outside of the podcast who we haven't interviewed. I mean, really live and die by that rule. Um, did you see any other deer that morning? Um, he was the only deer I seen. You know, after I shot him, I, I didn't stay there alone. Brett, I got to ask, you know, from this experience, what did you learn from killing this buck that you can then apply kind of going forward uh, to hopefully maybe your, your third buck tag for the state of Alabama? 
but also for years to come. I mean, what kind of experience did you learn from this, especially with the killing wind and, you know, maybe now how to focus on some of these different setups when you possibly do know where a mature buck is laying in bedding? It's definitely, it's going to make me look at things totally differently. You know, it's like Andrew was talking when he was describing the killing wind. See, I always sit on the side that I had the wind advantage and the deer would, you know, uh, 90% of the time is going to have the wind to its back. It's not going to have much of any type of angle. And that's the way I, I was. So it's definitely opened my eyes to maybe trying to get on the other side of the bed there and getting, even if, if I know a deer's coming out and 50 or 60 yard section of the bed there, just trying to get off east or west of it, just to try to be out of the uh, scent cone, getting my scent cone out of that area. You know, basically what happened with this deer and trying to hunt them that way. So it, it kind uh, of changed your perspective. It's, it's actually hard to do it now. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's been hunting in Alabama knows your wind blows one way for 10 minutes and then it'll drift this way and drift that way. But the day that I went, had that front that just come through and it was a strong, steady wind. I feel like I would only be comfortable doing something like that with, you know, around a seven mile per hour wind, something that was going to be strong and steady because of the weather. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's That was my biggest hang up with the whole um, uh, killing wind thing. I mean, for bow hunting, for rifle hunting, I don't care as much because uh, I can put some distance between me and the animal. But for bow hunting, that that's definitely a pretty big hang up um, for me. But what were you saying, Jacob? Well, I was going to say, you know, kind of Brett your perspective on you know maybe doing an observation sit or just getting you know out of the you know hunting with a kill, killing wind but hunting with more of like a crosswind where yeah. you're kind of getting off that trail you know if you're bow hunting maybe getting off that trail you know 30 40 50 yards maybe a little bit farther just so you can visually see into that area and maybe you can confirm if that buck is truly coming out with that wind in his face because you can hunt with a crosswind, like you were saying. So say there's a thicket, and the, the edge of the thicket runs east to west. Well, and again, maybe you're on the south side of the thicket, and you've got a southern wind. Well, if you kind of scout out the area and kind of figure out where some of those major trails are coming out of that thicket, if you will just get to the east or west of, that, of those trails, and again, maybe 40, 50, 60, 70 yards, you know, maybe the farthest distance you can sit where you can still see that edge and see where they can pop out at. You're still technically hunting with a killing wind, but you're far enough off that maybe you get a visual of that deer coming out to then make a move whether or not you can get closer to them. Um, or if you just need to readjust the setup uh, to put yourself in the right position for when he is trying to come out there. Because the one thing I see with the killing wind is if you're hunting a really big thicket, you really need to kind of figure out possibly at least what what side or, or at least what possible landmark in that thicket he's betting close to um, because whether he's traveling you know 20 yards in the thicket before he pops out or if he's traveling 100 yards in the thicket you really got to figure out how you're going to line up on him so that wind does not doesn't screw you over um, especially if he is maybe coming right to left in that thicket before he pops out uh, it's a challenge but again, it's cool to see guys like yourself, Brett, have success doing that. Uh, and, it, and it's really cool to kind of see Travis Murray talking about it on episode 213. 
and seeing someone like yourself really going out there, applying it and having success. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I would rather do an observation kit and confirm or at least see the deer and know which direction he's traveling when he's leaving Bay Mary and kind of get more information, more pieces to the puzzle and to be where I'm not going to see the deer at all. But then I can always make a move from there, which I have used observation in the past and it has it's never done me wrong. It's, I've always had benefits from it. I've got to ask, Brett, how do you see yourself using like this kind of tactic of hunting with a killing wind, especially in early season in Alabama uh, when, you know, the food source is really what's on the deer's mind. Uh, but you see a lot of these, I, I personally, again, kind of experience when you go into a spot, you got a really iffy wind. Sometimes that big buck wants to show up just because he has more of a wind advantage coming to, you know, whatever the food source may be, the major food source. I mean, could you see that being more effective for you, especially early season in Alabama? Most definitely. I can see it being effective pretty much all year long. It's just the challenge of, of uh, the wind, especially early season, as it is, if you can not a whole lot of wind. I definitely say that being a challenge and advantage as well. It's just, and, and I would say in that instance, that would be the perfect place to do an observation before you move in. If you know that food source, sit it off of it with the wind that you want to go in there and kill that deer and see how he's he's coming into the food source with that wind. And then you can uh, make a move from there. Well, awesome, Brett. Well, listen, really appreciate you coming back on for the show. And, well, really, I'm glad you were able to have some success using tactics from the show and again, kill another really nice buck for Alabama. And again, you got one more tag in your pocket. Hopefully uh, maybe you, you burn through that one before the end of the season on another great deer, maybe that other deer you're chasing. Um, let me, let me ask kind of a, this, a final question. Um, you know, for anyone that hasn't listened to Travis's episode, um, you know, what would you recommend for them to kind of listen to and maybe take notes on, um, you know, from either his first episode or maybe even that second episode, which was 213. Just anything that you think that could apply to the way that you hunt or just when it comes to the killing wind, the way he talks about it. I feel like writing down any of that where you can go back and look at it because it is a lot to take in and you kind of have to look at places that you hunt and look at the wind and sometimes having the notes be able to look back and see certain things you say can can definitely help you out when you're looking at a hunting spot. Excellent. Well, Brett, man, we appreciate you coming back on for this week's episode of the Listener Success Story from Southern Houston. Uh, anyone out there that's listening to the episode, success using tactics from the show, just like Brett, let us know. Shoot us a message or an email um, and let us know kind of, you know, what's helped you, what's helped you be successful. I know there's a lot of guys who's left us this written reviews on iTunes um, who said they uh, had success with the podcast or from the podcast, but we have yet to receive messages from you all. So please let us know what's working for you. Um, and again, uh, we appreciate all the other listeners out there that's been having success. I know we've had a lot more listeners have success using tips from the show that we have yet to get to for this year. And to be honest, we probably won't get to everybody. Uh, just because I think there's probably over 55 to 60 people have had success from the podcast just so far this year season, at least the people that's messaged us. 
Um, so that being said, you know, we've got a little bit of deer season left throughout the southeast. If your state is still in, hopefully y'all can go out there and have success. And hopefully we can have you on for a future episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listen to Success Story. But thank you again, Brett. You have a great rest of your season. Thank y'all. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.